0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Brian Tate. I'm one of the Connections pastors here. If you're a first-time guest with us, we are in a series called Ecclesia, and we're ending it today. This is our last uh, message during this series. We're going to start I Am next week and look at the seven different I Am statements that Christ said Um up to his death on the cross. So we will see uh, just who Christ is in those statements. Uh, We saw in first week of Ecclesia that we are the called out ones. The church is the called out ones. It's not a building, but it's a people. And we're called out of our old life and put into a new life, called into something, which is our new life in Christ. And so uh, Brandon walked through the next two weeks, just eight essential things that the church should be. And today we're going to look at the ninth one, which is baptism and Lord's Supper. And so we're going to take a look at baptism, I'm going to have to fly through it, and then I'll have to fly through the Lord's Supper, uh, and then we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper afterwards, and so we're going to explain what both are. But I want to start with an illustration to kind of get us in a right mindset before we do this. There's a pastor that spoke a message over love, and he used his two kids as an example. He had an eight-year-old girl named Helen and a, four, a five-year-old boy named Brandon. And back um, during this time, uh, they people would go to the mall and... Um, I hate the mall. I don't like the mall at all. My wife loves the mall, so there's something to do probably with women and men and all this stuff, but anyways, he takes his kids to the mall, and as they're driving up, they see this semi that says petting zoo, and of course, what do kids want to do? They're like, dad, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? And being the good father he is, he gives them a quarter, and they go to this petting zoo. Now, this petting zoo uh, back in the day was set up in a mall, and it would be Kind of in the center of the mall, they'd set up a, a fence. They'd throw in about six inches of sawdust or something that they could clean fairly easy. And then they'd put like a hundred furry animals in there, right? And so it's every kid's dream and when they go to there that they can walk among the animals, you pay your money, you go in there and you you have the kid's pet and just play with the animals. And so as they're doing this, the parents tend to go and get their shopping done, right? Without all these questions and all that. Now, this is obviously in a different age because I can't imagine leaving my kids in a petting zoo at a mall, right? So um, he... He gives him the quarter, he goes to Sears to find a tool that he needs, and as he's shopping and looking for this tool, he looks back and he sees Helen there. And he looks back and knowing that she does not like tools more than animals, right, uh, he looks back and says, Helen, what's wrong? Uh, Why are you here with me? Uh, And she said, well, Dad, it was 50 cents for us to go in, it wasn't a quarter, so I gave Brandon my quarter and allowed him to go in. Well, knowing kind of who she is, and that in the family, she was the one that loved uh, animals more than anything. He saw this action and love through that action, and so he goes through and shops with, continues shopping with uh, his daughter, gets the tool he needs, and goes to the petting zoo, and like most families, I think of most families nowadays, I would take out 50 cents and say, okay, go, right? We want every kid to get the trophy, right?" So, uh, I'd say go, but he didn't, because there was a motto, a family motto that his family would say over and over and over in the church and in the family, and that love is a sacrificial action. Love is not a feeling, love is not words just uh, that you put out there, love is actually a sacrificial action. And so, he looked down, had 50 cents in his pocket, knew that man, it was burning a hole in his pocket but didn't want to rob her of the sacrifice that, he had give, that she had given to Brandon. And so they sat there and watched him the whole time, and she never once asked for 50 cents. And so I say this because love is a sacrificial action. Love is a give, it's not take. Love is actually putting uh, f- uh, this into somebody else's account. It cr- accrues, the feelings accrue in their account and not ours. It's for everybody else, it's not for you. So love is a sacrificial action. We saw that on the cross when Jesus came and, and forgo what he wanted to do and did what his father wanted to do and sacrificed himself on the cross so that we can have a relationship with him. And so going into this, realize love is a sacrificial action. What we do with baptism and the Lord's Supper isn't about us. It's about Jesus and it's about other people. And so I want you to think about this as we're going in. Not only do we sacrifice just, the, just our um, self as we come and do all of this, we do that in everything. Whether it's at work, whether it's relating to a spouse, whether it's parenting, whether it's at school, you are constantly supposed to imitate Christ. And so love is a sacrificial action in everything we do. And so before we do dive in, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue just seeing what baptism and Lord's Supper is. Father, I thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago, God. I thank you for coming and living among us as one of us, perfect without sin, and being our sacrifice on our behalf so that we could have a relationship with you, so we can be restored, so we can be renewed back into a right relationship. God, I ask that you help us to examine ourselves today as we talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper and what that truly means, and help us to be more of a follower of Christ today than we were yesterday, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we start out with Matthew 3, 13 through 17, and I'm just going to read the baptism of Jesus real quick. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So why should we be baptized? Like, why should you be baptized? Is this just something that saves us? Is it something that washes our sins away? Well, first and foremost, it follows the example set by Jesus. And I have a question for you. Why was Jesus baptized? He was sinless. He's the son of God. What was the point in him being baptized? But I want to show you that the point is, is that he grew up as a carpenter's son. He grew up following his earthly father in this work that he did at home. And this is his point to where he is saying, I'm leaving my old life and stepping into the purpose God has for me here on earth. And so what does God do? He opens up the heavens. And he speaks. And people hear his voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because he is now leaving his old life and stepping into the purpose that God has wanted him to fulfill. And so now he starts his ministry three years, comes to death on the cross, and God's purpose is fulfilled on earth through Jesus. And so we see that he does this as an example, meaning that we do this because we want to follow what Christ did. We want to leave our old life. Yes, we are sinful. We are sinful people. And Jesus saved us from that sin. And so we as an example, want to say, I am leaving my old life and stepping into a new life in Christ. It also is because Christ commands it. Back in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, after he dies, uh, comes back to life, uh, talks to his disciples for about 40 days. He is at the, he's about to ascend back to heaven and he tells his disciples, therefore go and make disciples of many nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I command you and lo I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And so you get this picture that God is commanding us to make disciples and to be baptized. It's to baptize others. And so not only did he give us an example, but he commands us to do it. And it also shows, it demonstrates that you are a believer. In Acts 18.8, it says that many believed and were baptized. And so when you are baptized, you are showing everybody that's there that you are deciding to leave your old life just as Christ did and to come into a relationship with him and you are a follower of Christ. That's what baptism is. It's a symbol. So what is the meaning of baptism. Here at Stone Point, we use, we like to use the example of a wedding ring. That one came off so much easier than the first service. I was like, I can't get my wedding ring off. But this is a wedding ring. This is a symbol for you to know that I'm married. Some of you know my wife Amy, some of you don't, but I am married to my wife Amy. Now, if I lose this ring, that means I'm not married? No, it means I'm still married. This is just a symbol to you that I'm married. I don't need this symbol to remember that I'm a follower of Christ. Or, yeah, not this. But I don't need this symbol to remember that I'm married to my wife. I gave a covenant relationship promise to my wife on July 14th of 2001, saying, I'm going to be with you until one of us dies, or Christ comes back, right? I'm going to stay with you until then. And I don't need this to remember. In fact, this is for me to show you that I'm married. And that's the same as baptism. And so what's the meaning of baptism? It illustrates Christ's death and resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what also I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And in Colossians 2.12, he says that when you are baptized, you are baptized with Christ's death, and come and... You are baptized into a new life in Christ. And so it's illustrating Christ's death. It's saying that I believe, again, that God is real, that Jesus is real, and then I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection and is what saves me. It also illustrates again that your life as a follower of Christ. In Romans 6 4, it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And what you see here is that salva- baptism is not salvation, baptism isn't needed to be saved. We are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. So no man, like not by work, so no man can boast. You and I can, we can go and be baptized over and over and over and just boast on how many times we've been baptized. But that is a work. And we're saved by faith in Christ. Salvation comes at the moment you give your life to Christ. You say, no, I don't, I'm following you. Baptism is a representation of what Christ has done in you. So who should be baptized? Well, it's every person who has believed in Christ. All throughout the scripture, it shows that those that were believed and were baptized, just multiple times, people first believed and then were baptized. And so you'll come, we'll see people all the time come to some point and say, I didn't get what happened when I was young. I didn't know what truly following Christ was. And so you'll see that people will come and say, I was baptized as a child. I don't even remember it. And I came to faith in Christ at an older age and then we baptized on Hebrew because we believe in believer's baptism. You don't get baptized until you believe. And so because it's a direct representation saying I believe in the resurrection of Jesus and I'm showing those that I am here with that I'm following Jesus. I'm making a choice to follow him. And so we believe here at some point that you get baptized after you believe in Christ. How often should we be baptized? Well, once. You have people again that come and think that you need to continually be saved through baptism, where that continually washes away your sins, and that's not what it does. There's nothing special about the water. But it's for you again, once you believed and were baptized, you don't need to be baptized again if you've believed in Jesus already. You don't see Jesus coming and giving an example over and over and over and over. You don't see in Scripture that people continually get baptized over and over and over. So you believe and you're baptized. And so what I want you to really understand about baptism is, one, it's kind of your day, but it's really not, right? What you're doing is you're coming and saying, I am proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm proclaiming to you, my church family, that I want to follow Jesus and I need you to hold me accountable. And so last week, for those that were not here, we had 11 people do that here at Stone Point. And we have a video that we want you to see because we want you to realize there are people that want you to hold them accountable in this walk with Christ. And this is who they are. So y'all check out this video. That is why we exist as a church. We exist so that God can come and do his work among people through people and have life change and see someone say, I publicly want to say that I believe in Jesus Christ, that I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. I want to leave my old life and follow him in a new life. And so praise God for those 11 people that did it this last week. And I hope that when you see them, you celebrate life because now we have 11 people that want to walk in this body and go the way of Christ and so just as you see them encourage them encourage each other that's what we're supposed to do as a body and so we're going to now jump into the second ordinance which is the Lord's Supper and I want to start again and say this is not about you this is about Jesus It's not about you. It's about you showing others that you're a believer in Christ. So it's for those that are unbelievers. Because in this room, we have two types of people. We have those that are in Christ and those that are still in the world. we got those that follow Christ and those that still want to do what they want to do. And so you have people that come and say, I'm a follower of Christ. And this is your chance to proclaim that you're a believer and you believe in Jesus. And so as we go into this, we're going to walk through some of the same questions we did with baptism, but let's examine ourselves as we go before this. And so why should I participate in the Lord's Supper? One, it's to follow the example set by Jesus. Before he went to his cross, he joined with his disciples in what we know as the upper room, and he celebrated Passover. That's what this celebration is. The Israelites would celebrate Passover when uh, Moses took his, when Moses went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and uh The tenth plague came along, and there was a death angel that was going to kill all the firstborn. And if you sacrificed a lamb, put his blood over the doorpost, the death angel would pass over. And you would physically be saved from death because of the blood. And so that's the representation that we have, that we are spiritually saved from death. For the wage of sin is death. But the free gift from God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of his blood, we are spiritually saved from death, what we deserve. And so that's us coming here. And so we need to follow the example set by Jesus because Christ commands it. When he's in the upper room and he goes through it all, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He says to do this. Every time we do it, do it in remembrance of him. I don't know how you grew up, uh, but I grew up in church. And I grew up to where this was really kind of about... Christ, but it was also about me. I needed to come and seek forgiveness again and come and uh, drink and eat, uh, eat the bread, drink the juice, right? It's not wine, um, just in case some of y'all are worried back out there. But Christ commands it, and so I, I would come to this with, a, uh, with the wrong mindset, really. Like, I would come thinking it was, it was more about me being forgiven again, and Christ died once, we remember that. And so th- again, this really isn't about us. But it demonstrates that you're a believer. Third thing is it demonstrates you're a believer. In first Corinthians eleven twenty six, it says Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're saying that I follow Christ in Christ alone. But here's the thing, like I, have, I wonder how well are we following Christ because if we are proclaiming his death, publicly saying, I follow Christ, and there's people that are unbelievers in this room, and you're coming and saying, I follow Christ, and then go out and live however you want to. We're in danger of some things. Just as baptism, if you have somebody get up and be baptized and say, I follow Christ, yet live the way of the world, it's confusing to the world. And so how are we doing at demonstrating that we're a believer? So what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? One, again, it illustrates Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Again, they had Passover, and the Israelites were leaving the land, and the death angel passes over. And Jesus meets in the room and says, this bread is no longer representing the sacrificial lamb. In fact, I substitute myself for that lamb. He says, the bread is my body, my broken body. Just as the lamb was broken for you, I'm broken for you. The, the wine represents my blood. Just as it represented the lamb's blood that saved him from death, this represents Christ's blood that saves us from death. And so it illustrates Christ's death and resurrection, and it also illustrates, again, your life as a follower of Christ. This is you coming and saying, I proclaim Christ's death, and I follow him. So who's it for? Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? Well, every person who has believed in Christ. So those that do not follow Christ, those of you that are just checking out Stone Point Church, trying to figure out if God's really real, if Jesus is real, if this is a real thing, this isn't for you. This is for you to see people that claim to follow Christ. This is them proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so for those that believe, you are coming up here and saying, I follow Christ. But Paul, I want you to realize this. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I sit here and I think, well, what does that mean? Because growing up again, I thought, okay, I just need to ask forgiveness for the sins I've committed since I became a follower of Christ or since I last did this and, and I'm good. But I want to realize that as I have grown in Christ, I want you to realize that I think it means so much more than that. When we're discerning what we are, we're discerning daily, have I imitated Christ like I should? And so think about the Lord's Prayer. There's a moment that Jesus, uh, his disciples come to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, okay, pray like this. And so as we're examining ourselves, I want you to examine yourselves this way. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Basically, he's saying, God, you're holy, and I'm not. God, you're God, and I'm not. God, I want to follow you. I don't want to follow my own ways. God, you are the creator of this universe, and and I'm not. So first and foremost, we've got to acknowledge who God is, that He is our Savior, He is our life, He is everything. He says, uh, "Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." What's saying is in heaven, we know God's will is done, right? Everyone obeys Him, everyone worships Him, so there's no sin, there's no death, there's no pain, no sickness. God is God in heaven. And what we're doing is we're praying that his will be done here on earth. And how can his will be done through unbelievers? It can't. So the will is done through us as believers. If we say we're followers of him, we need to obey him. His will, no matter, we need to say it's not your will, it's not my will, but it's your will. Just as Jesus did in the garden, right? He didn't want to go die. He said, but God, I'm going to follow your will. I'm going to follow your purpose for me. And so it is us saying that I'm going to follow your will as an example. I'm going to imitate Christ. So he says, uh, what's he say there? Oh, give us our day, our daily bread. God, you alone give us life. You give us today. That's all we're promised. You've provided everything. Your resources, they're yours. They're not mine. This food is yours. It's not mine. This house is yours. It's not mine. My life is yours. It's not mine. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he comes to forgiveness. Forgive us of our sins. But then there's so much more to it. And forgive as we forgive those that sin against us. We tend to come and say, oh, God, forgive me. But we tend to not extend forgiveness. So, there's a story that Jesus uh, tells his disciples in Matthew 5. It says If you come to the altar, if you bring your offering, your gift, your sacrifice to the altar, and you remember that you have anger against a brother, or that an anger or a brother has anger against you, or there's unforgiveness, leave your gift at the altar and go and seek repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. So I want you to realize when you're examining yourself, if you feel that God is laying on your heart somebody that you need to forgive or you need to seek forgiveness from, pray about it before you come up here. Because it's more than just you forgiving. It's, for, it's more than you being forgiven. It's you forgiving others. In fact, he ends the whole part of the Lord's Prayer with, if you, if God, if you want forgiveness from God, forgive others. If you do not forgive others, God won't forgive you. That's harsh. That's harsh. But if we are imitators of Christ, then we forgive others no matter what. And it's a hard thing. I'm not saying it's easy. But we're to imitate Christ. And then he says, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we are really good at blaming God. God, why are you letting me go through this struggle? God, why did you do this in my life? God didn't tempt us. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't tempt us. God can't tempt us. He walks through our struggles with us, but we're very good at blaming him. So he says, let us realize that God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't do things to us, but it's actually the devil. Deliver us from the evil one. Because we know he's coming to kill, steal, and destroy For thine is the kingdom and the power forever. Amen. And so, as you're examining yourself, I think it's more than just coming and saying, God, I'm sorry I messed up. It's seeking forgiveness, it's acknowledging who God is, but it's also extending forgiveness. How often should we have the Lord's Supper? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as it sees fit, if you feel that God is laying on your heart to have the Lord's Supper with your family, do it. Where two or more are gathered in his name, he's there with us. You can do it at your house with the, your family. Husbands, lead your family in the Lord's Supper at home. Do it in a journey group. If you feel that God needs you to lead it in a journey group, have it in a journey group because God does not stay in this building. God's within us. And when we leave, he's with us. And so wherever it is, as often as you see fit, do this as you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So with that, we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper. And it's for all the believers in the room, as the band's coming up, I'm going to ask you guys to examine yourselves. I'm going to pray just shortly. The band's going to play two songs, and then we then I'll end this in the Lord's Supper. But as you're doing this, examine yourself. See if there's anybody you need to forgive. See if you, there's anyone that you need to seek forgiveness from. Acknowledge who God is, because without Him we're nothing. Father, I do thank you again for this time, God. Thank you for constantly pursuing us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for despite what we do, what we say, you still love us for who we are, and you want us to be more like you daily. God, I thank you for your son and what he did on the cross. I thank you for the way that we can publicly display here in a church setting. God, I ask that you help us to realize that this is not the only place that we do that. We do it at work, we do it at home, we do it at school. In every relationship we have, we publicly display you, Father. God, I ask that you help us do that. I ask that you help us to decrease so you can increase in every situation that we live in, God. Father, I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.